0: Are you ready for another Leader Connect podcast? I gathered so much wisdom from this one. Former fast jet pilot Mandy Hickson helped me to understand that maybe a bit of imposter syndrome is good, that decision-making when you have the right tools can happen effectively, even if you're racing through the skies at nearly 500 miles an hour, and that when life changes, it's more of a case of leaning in and leaning out and not having to give up on a dream. This one felt like a really empowering coaching session, and I know that you will feel the same. But before I hit play, all the wisdom we impart on these podcasts can be explored more on our platform, Leader Connect. If you've not visited leader-connect.co.uk, why not? Sitting on there right now is a free leadership course and access to some amazing networking opportunities. Here's your podcast. Can I please welcome to the Leader Connect podcast, Mandy Hickson. Mandy, thank you so much for joining me. My absolute pleasure, Sarah. It's lovely to talk to you. Thank you. So I always do this. It's much easier for people that I talk to to introduce themselves than it is for me to do that because invariably I end up forgetting something. So Mandy, in 60 seconds, could you give us your life story? In 60 seconds, that's hilarious.
1: Being my military training, I instantly looked at the clock and thought, right, go for it. So I joined the Air Force back in 1994, the Royal Air Force. I flew the Tornado GR4 on the front line. So I was the second woman that ended up getting qualified to fly the Tornado in operation. I flew operations over Iraq. I did three tours of duty in Iraq. I stayed in the Air Force for 17 years and I left 11 years ago. When I left, I retrained to be an airline pilot. And then very quickly, I realized that was not where my heart lay. I started doing a little bit of keynote speaking at, at schools initially just to try to, you know, get youngsters to start looking at the bigger picture and start reaching for the skies, basically. And then actually a lot of their parents said, could you come and speak to us? And so I actually set up my own business um, called Experience from the Frontline, taking all of my stories and my experiences from my time of the air, in, in the Air Force and sharing them with audiences, big and small, old and young. And it's been great. It's taken me all over the world over the last 10 years. Two years ago, I produced, I published my book called An Officer, Not a Gentleman. And that's done really well. That went to the number one best selling book in aviation and sat there for about nine months. I've been pipped off the top post now there by some fantastic aviation books that are out there. So, yeah, no, it's been great, actually. So that's it in a nutshell. Mum of two children, um, married, very happy and just got back from holiday. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and it is beautiful weather today as well I don't know about you but whenever the sun comes out just life just feels that much better doesn't it because we can get out and do these amazing things so we so you can see why I'm terribly excited about speaking to you today because the moment that I watched Top Gun when I was I don't know 11 I thought at some point I might get to fly a plane but it is yet to happen <laughs> so there we go <laughs> Um, so listen, we're going we're to focus on some leadership, but very specifically, some of the amazing leadership skills that you will have picked up in, in, quite honestly, some quite hostile environments and some environments where you would have had to have thought very, very quickly, which I'm really, really fascinated about. Now, at Leader Connect, we talk about having um, a very clear and compelling purpose, which we believe is the secret to successful leadership, is understanding the direction in which you wish to travel and then taking everybody with you. And it was very clear from reading your book that from a very early age, you had this very clear and compelling purpose that you wanted to fly. And I wanted to understand kind of where that came from and how that helped you throughout your life.
1: Yeah, I I think actually it's really interesting when we talk about purpose, actually, Sarah. And and I think, and it was why I was, you know, when you first got in touch with me, I, I was really, this really appealed to me to talk about that compelling purpose, because I think In life, we are driven by purpose. And I think it's really easy to say, be resilient to things. But if we don't have a purpose, you don't have a goal that you're bouncing back towards. So therefore, what's the point in being resilient? And therefore, what's the point in having goals if we don't have a purpose? So purpose is at the heart of everything that I do and I talk about. Very early on, yes, my grandpa shared stories about his time being a pilot in the air force in second world war it interested me i joined the air cadets when i was young at the age of 13 on the first day that they opened the doors to girls and it was while i was there that i flew and i think it was that whole feeling of getting airborne and realizing that it was like dancing in the air and i often say i fly with cadets and uh, i haven't i stopped doing it two years ago but i basically it's like getting into the air and you suddenly feel that all your worries can disappear and you can focus and you can live in that exact moment and I realized when I was talking to some of the pilots that you know they had an absolute passion for this and I thought my gosh they've made this their careers doing this and I thought god if I can make that my career that'd be great but women weren't allowed to be pilots in the air force at that stage and it's also really competitive you know so I you know, 3,000 people apply and one person ends up in a fast jet cockpit. So the competition is brutal. So then I just continued to chip away at that goal by having that clear purpose. And I kept on putting myself in the right position. So I didn't realise I was doing it. I don't think you realise when you're 17, 16, 17, that you're actually putting yourself in that position, but well, that's exactly what you are doing. So I carried on flying with cadets because I enjoyed it, kept on getting promoted, became head girl at school. Again, not because I particularly wanted to be head girl, but because I actually applied for the job of deputy because I, it was basically involving working with the boys' school to do the discos every year. And I thought that would be fantastic. So that's what, And then they said, oh, you've got head girl. I went, oh, God, I wanted deputy. So I do think that's quite hilarious. That I sort of ended up, you know, it's almost like by default. But I, I think I've probably got an intrinsic natural leadership, if I'm really honest. Whether I've utilised that to my full potential, even yet, I don't know. And I think I'm still looking for opportunities, but I'm
0: having that, that sense of purpose is something that drives me all the time. So, so actually, you said something really, really interesting that you said that you felt that you were a natural leader, but whether or not you'd used it to its full potential and um, kind of hints on, on something that I'm really passionate at, at the moment and doing quite a lot of research on. And it. it's this sense of imposter syndrome. And I spoke to Jordan Wiley a few weeks ago, who's an adventurer and how he kind of has this concept of well I would never necessarily call myself a leader or an adventurer or whatever even though I am so do you believe that you are a leader or, or 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 if you don't what is it that kind of stops you from from necessarily saying that or or can you dig a little bit deeper into this sense of why you feel that perhaps you haven't used that to its full potential yet yeah and I think imposter syndrome is a really interesting one and I think it's it's you know, been highlighted a lot more recently.
1: And I think when I wrote my book, actually, I really recognised that actually I probably suffered from imposter syndrome the whole of my life. It it was it was brought about, I think, initially when I tried to join the air force and I failed all the aptitude tests, not once but twice. And you're only allowed to take them twice. And and actually, through a lot of persuasion and a lot of people fighting my corner, actually, from uh, the university air squadron which I joined, they took me on as a test case because at the time they couldn't understand why a lot of women. Were failing these tests compared to men, and as they'd only just opened the doors to them, so when I found out I'd, I was taken on as a test case, it was almost like I was being set up to find out. They wanted to see how far I got before I failed, and that planted this seed of doubt within me that I don't think I'd had up to that point. I think I'd had this, not it wasn't arrogance, but it was an, a naivety to believe that I could achieve my my goals, you know. And actually, suddenly they planted this seed of doubt that you're not good enough, but we're going to take you on and see how far you get you know, this sort of, and actually that, that doubt would then start to flourish and be planted and it would grow into what I now know to be imposter syndrome. Because every time I would struggle in the Air Force at any time, be it flying, you know, or socially, I'd always think, oh my goodness, this is the moment I get caught out. And I think a lot of people do suffer from this. And the more I've talked about it in podcasts and when I do my speaking, one of the big subjects that often comes up is imposter syndrome. And I think if you actually look at what imposter syndrome actually is, I think it's it's good to have it a little bit because otherwise, if we don't have it, we're just arrogant. <laughs> yeah. you know, so I think, you know, having that feel of, so long as you don't let it control you, that's the big difference. I think if you think, okay, am I going to be caught? Am I going to be found out? And therefore, I'm not going to put myself out there. Then it's winning. That is not a good position to be in. But if you think, do you know what? Am I good enough? I think it's good to have doubts about yourself because it makes you, you know, puts yourself into a slightly uncomfortable position. Then you get your adrenaline and then you actually can, you know, ramp up to it. And, and I think just touching on the leadership side there, I applied, well, I, I was asked to be um, a trustee at a really big military club in London. And it's a joint services, all ranks club called the Victory Services Club. And we were at, and there's a lot of very, very high ranking officers who are on this board of trustees. Majority are men. In fact, all the trustees uh, that were ex-serving are all men. So I was the only ex-serving female. And there's two other women as well on that, that board now, but neither have been serving. They're both civilians. And so there's that sense of rank there. And we were asked to write down our core competencies and grade ourselves from one to five on all the different levels. Five being the highest, I gave myself majority threes, a couple of twos. There was one four. I got sent it back to say, Mandy, could you resubmit it? And this was from the 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 PA to the the CEO of this club, who said, all the men have sent them back and they've given themselves straight fives. You you can't, I cannot have your your one as the only woman coming back, and you're, you've given yourself straight threes with a one four and one two. So pretty much the average is a three. That's not right. So what is it within predominantly women that do undervalue themselves? And so I thought, well, I felt really uncomfortable. So I only put myself up to a four and I gave myself one five in one area. And I thought, because ultimately, you know, I'm not conceited. I'm not arrogant. I don't believe that I've proved myself in that field. And I think until I really have, then, then I'll give myself five. But I do feel I've got potential to achieve those goals.
0: Yeah. And I think some of it's about, so imposter syndrome can be a great motivator as well. <clears throat> so always feeling that there's there's a little bit more I can do. There's a little bit more I can do. And I know certainly in my career, um, very different to yours, but I, I had a pretty successful broadcasting career, all men. And Yeah. And I don't think in exactly the same way, I don't think that I necessarily believe that I was actually doing what I was doing, but it was a great motivator. It kept me pushing and pushing and pushing. Certainly nobody believed that I was going to achieve what it was that, that I set out to achieve. And and I think that's what's really interesting is by giving yourself a three or a four, it left that room to kind of push yourself to 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 get even better. Whereas if you're at five, where where do you go? Because there's no I, there's nothing above five. But so it's, it's a, almost like saying, I'm perfect. Just like, no, yeah, we've grow we've all got room to grow. Um, so this is a fairly similar question, actually, that that I'd written down. And I put, why do we as women often default to the backseat position, kind of leaving um, a lot of our aspirations behind? You know, I've had the last time I was behind a microphone was probably 10 years ago, and I'd avoided doing it for a very long time for, for many reasons. I, you know, I got married, had kids, all of those kind of things. But I just wonder why we kind of feel that we have to default to, to kind of not pushing ourselves as perhaps as much as the men.
1: Okay, so there's a couple of things I want to pick up from that, Sarah. So, one of them is that, and I will refer back now to Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. I really like this. Have you read it, Sarah? I've read bits of it. I've got a lot. I've got a great big pile here, about 200 books, including that. Oh, <laughs> okay, well, mine, there you go. I've got hundreds to bloom and read. And well, there's a part of it that I really liked, which is where she talks literally about the leaning in towards a career. And she said, you know, life is no longer this career ladder. So we, we need to lean in when we can, because what we don't want to do is, for example, if you were thinking you join a company and you think, OK, in five years time, I might want to have children. And therefore, I don't want to take that promotion because actually, I then don't want to have the extra work when I'm a new mum and blah, And so we lean out from it. But then it means when we do take that period of time off, be it through maternity or perhaps a sabbatical, you haven't got a driver to pull you back towards it. Because guess what? You were undervaluing yourself in the first place. So it's almost like lean in towards your career. If you need to take a career break at any time, that's fine. But then you can come back in at the right level for yourself. You haven't stepped back giving yourself this buffer. That is a really important one because I've done that myself many, many times. Leaning back, stepping back and just going, yeah, because this is going to happen. But she also said, and it's this great analogy, and for anyone who is a parent out there, they'll know the jungle gym, you know, where you take your kids to when it's raining and there's chips and there's bits smashed into the plastic. Anyway, the kids love them. And there's a lot of those guns that make horrible noises constantly uh, when I work. I'm absolutely convinced that that's where COVID began. I'm sure it is. It's like a fostering environment. <laughs> but she said, you know, don't think of it as this ladder, career ladder. I want you to imagine it as a jungle gym. And I thought, oh, I love that. She said, occasionally you'll find yourself literally on the cargo netting, clinging on, hoping not to be falling into the pool pit below, whilst your children are probably firing the bullets from one of those big gun things at you, hitting the polystyrene balls. And then occasionally you're going, I can step back on my ladder. And I think it's great to think like that. And so I believe, and you've sort of said you'd stepped away from broadcasting for 10 years. And it's like, why then, why are you actively sort out now doing a podcast, getting back in towards it? It's your stepping stone back in and it's re-engaging your brain to that right area, isn't it? And I think it's about doing the right thing at the right stage of life for yourself. So when I chose not to go into the airlines, when I left the Air Force, I got my commercial pilot's license. I spent £20,000 on it for goodness sake, but I had a four and a five-year-old boys at home. And my husband was an airline pilot. I just thought, it's just not going to work for us both to be doing that job. And actually, my heart was not in it. And I thought, right, what else can I do? And that's when you have to dig a bit deeper sometimes to say, I want to find a, a, a job and a career. And, and for many years, I would take more local work. I would do different things. I became a facilitator in human factors within the aviation sector, which I absolutely loved. And I'm now basically putting together a second book all around those areas, actually. But now, My boys are 17 and 18, six foot five and six foot four. They look down on little mummy at six foot tall. And, you know, and basically I can travel. I can go away. I can really re-engage into my career and start doing what I want to be doing at the right stage. And so I think it's about recognising that you're not failing. It's not the imposter that's taking over. It's about recognising when is the right time for you to engage in it and when's the right time to step back
0: that is just fabulous wisdom that I think that we can all kind of take on board because you do feel that you think I've left it behind and but the leaning in concept is is just beautiful. I'd like to go back to the to the to the hanging onto the cargo net and stuff being fired at you and the the ball pull and all of that which beautifully leans me into um, kind of your experience in the air and I want to talk about um, decision-making because we all struggle with making decisions. Sometimes when we've got too much time, it's really hard to make decisions. But also sometimes when we're faced with really, really tricky things that are happening around us as leaders, we either... make a decision and then kind of think i've made the wrong decision and 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 overthink it etc etc or even worse we make no decisions at all so you've been in many many positions where you've had to make decisions very very quickly decisions that have a huge impact and i just wanted you to talk us through your decision making process and and how some of those decisions that you've made in the air are relatable to the decision-making process that we could be making on the ground.
1: Yeah, so again, this is something that aviation as a whole, so not just military aviation, but commercial um, aviation as well, they've really looked into this as a human element as well because they recognise that if you've got a crew, say, of two people, they're sitting next to each other, when someone sees something, so if you and I were sitting together in an airplane, Sarah, you I would see something that something's happened I would instantly build up a mental model of it and you would see something but you would see something very different because you have a different level of experience you haven't seen it before I've seen it before I know what I'm looking at I will then make a very quick decision but you're not involved in that decision and so actually they designed a decision making uh, model called T-DODAR and it's used across the whole of aviation you might have heard of the OODA loop that is used in the military I really like Todar as well. So the first thing we do is we say, how much time do we have? Now, time in aviation can be very quick. In business, it can be a bit more lengthy. So by saying, okay, we have got 20 minutes to make this decision, or I've got four days and I want to come up with the best solution to this. The next thing that you do is you diagnose the problem. Now, this is where the interesting stages of leadership and communication come in as well, because if I'm the leader and I'm seeing a, seeing a problem in front of me, it's very easy for me to say, Sarah, this is the problem. And you will immediately, because the hierarchy is there, because there's a gradient, because you think Mandy's got loads more experience, you'll go, oh, okay, that is the, that is what I'm seeing as well. I might have got it wrong. <laughs> you know, that's not unusual. Mm-hmm. And often um, people with experience will make the wrong judgment because they have seen something before. They instantly think it's that, that confirmation bias will come in and they make a decision based on something else. Someone who's got a little experience might say, Hold on a minute. That doesn't quite ring true. But if you're the leader and there's a gradient there, it, it it's not necessarily that creating the right environment. So when you diagnose a problem, I would ask, "What are you seeing, Sarah?" And you would say, "Well, I'm seeing that you've got a left engine fire, Mandy." Shall we action it? And I'll say, "I'm seeing the left engine fire as well." Right? Okay. So now we're both starting from the same mental model. The next thing that you do is you say, "What are the options we've got?" Okay, again, I don't tell you, I don't contaminate you with my thinking about what we should do. Because often at this point, you'd be coming up with loads of different things. And when I come up with an option, I then pressure test it by going, I just call it brand in the back of my mind, but benefits of it, risk of it. Is there an alternative or should we do nothing? So each option I come up with, I say, what is the benefit? What's the risk? Alternative, do nothing. And so it's that whole quickly coming into that pressure testing of the, of the options. Once I've got all the options from my team, I bring them all together, I assimilate them and I make a decision. So it's not a collaborative decision-making model. I'm not saying that we're all going to make this decision together. There is still a leadership structure and it's really important that because that's where you sort of blow away this fallacy of, oh, it's just collaborative and we're just going to talk the whole time. Once the options have come in, leader makes the decision, he assigns or she assigns the tasks and then reviews it. And I always think the review stage is really important. Give me a reason not to. So we don't go through that cut, that sunk cost fallacy where we go, I've, you know, I've joined a gym. I'm, I've paid the money for three months. I'm just going to carry on doing it because I've invested. You know, once you've invested time and effort into something, it's easier to sometimes carry on. Yes, Actually assessing it and saying, give me a reason not to is a really good point. And then you can go back to the start and say, is it the right decision? So T-Dodal, time diagnosis options with bran on the side make a decision assign the tasks and review it now i learned that when i was in the military i've used it in business i've used it in real life i use it all the time and i run through that all the time in my own mind and i found it really really helpful to have that because a everybody knows where you're up to on that i would say i'm option stage guys can i have some help can i have some input you know or we're at the making a decision stage here. So again, people know where you're up to. When I was in Iraq, we, I was involved in a it was, a, it was a really quite high pressure situation when we were engaged by a surface-to-air missile. And I was the junior member of my team that night and I was leading a formation over Iraq. When we were engaged by a surface-to-air missile, it locked onto the heat of my engines. We managed to evade the missile. But actually the complexity of the mission suddenly changed from being a reconnaissance sortie, you know, show of force, showing that we were there and present, to actually now you're redirected to prosecute an attack on a target. Mm -hmm. Now that's completely changed the mission that we were on. It's two o'clock in the morning. You've been up since 7am. You're tired. Adrenaline's thrown. You've just been shot at. Everything's going through it. And it'd be easy just to go, right, let's go straight to the uh, target. Let's do this. But actually by stopping and saying, okay, we've got two minutes to come up with the right decision of what we need to do. We're told at this point by Commander-in-Chief, who's in a big AWACS aircraft, you know, he says, stand by while a plan is formulated, but we're very quickly running out of fuel. We have got to make some decisions. We can't not make a decision. And so by bringing my team, who are my formation, I I get the input from them. And we decide that we're not going to go straight to the uh, target. We're going to try and find a tanker in Saudi Arabia. Again, opening up our options keeping those things open to say right now we can stay able for longer you know and so constantly looking at and reassessing
0: it is really really important sorry i i i should explain that i i am just back from the gym and i'm just drinking coffee whilst listening to you because it's just so fascinating so leading on nicely from the decision making and you talked then about your team and and i know that with within the tornado there's you and a, a navigator so there's there's two of you on board Can you explain the process? So so presumably you and the navigator, do you work together over a long period of time? Or would it be a case of, you know, you're very quickly put together? I mean, how does that team evolve? And then I'm going to move on to talking about trust.
1: Yeah. So often you'll well, when we fly on operations, they try to put you as what we call a constituted crew, i.e., you're going to fly with that same person to build up a level of trust and build up a level of teamwork. How do we both work together, communicate together? But you know, it can change quite regularly. So it's the way it it works in the military and the way it works in aviation is that we're very standardised with our processes and protocols, our standard operating procedures, our checklists that we use. And they're done in such a way so that we use standardised phraseology. So for example, so you take not just the Tornado, but say take a commercial aircraft, you've got crews flying together, new crew every single day. They've never flown with each other. They've never, you know, worked with all the cabin crew before. You've instantly got to build trust, but you've also got to have a really safe operating environment. And by doing the standardization of our phraseology, of our checklists, that's one way that you can create this very safe and very quick working environment where you can work together. In a tornado, the interesting one is you're not even sitting next to each other. You're sitting behind each other. So, you know, you're in the air, you're flying along at 500 miles an hour in this tube of steel you know you're carrying weapons on board or doing a reconnaissance task and you're working with someone that perhaps you've never worked with before which was the case in my case when I first went out of the gulf I was put to fly with a guy I'd never flown with him before and he had quite a Scottish accent and it was it was unbelievable because I would really struggle to understand what he was saying it was like we're both from the UK and it's like, I was like, I'm really sorry, can you just speak slower? Because he would be running through a checklist and I couldn't hear what he was saying. And so this is a very interesting one. And, you know, there's all these different things when you look at all the communication models. There's Albert Morabian who says, as you know, it's 38% is this, 7% only is words you know, and it's all in our movements and our tone and all of these sorts of things. And so many different studies. The reality is, is that when you're flying, you can't see anybody, so you can take out body language, your tone. You're on a radio; it's all about being accurate, brevity, and clarity. Very short, sharp, standardized phraseology. So you can sort of take out tone a bit. So guess what? Your words are really important, and it's really important to get the right words. So again. Building of that trust is really, really important. So I think it's about working on the ground to ensure that you
0: are building that relationship before you get airborne. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. We'll 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 look at communication in just a few moments' time because we have a great model that we use here in, in Leader Connect, which I, I think that in the military we're very good at getting through very, very quickly. But I'd like to I'd like to do the sandwich now, which always makes me feel slightly hungry. But the sandwich is, of course, the, the short kind of quick fire questions that I'm going to fire at you just to find out some some more and slightly daft, but but seemingly quite important things about you. So here we go. What is the tune that without fail would get you up and dancing? Oh, killer's Mr. Brightside. Every
1: oh. single time. But I do quite like a little bit of Chumba Wumba. I get knocked down.
0: I <laughs> wasn't expecting that, but there we go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> What is the most recent book that you've read? Oh, God, I read two on holiday, but they were
1: really holiday. Oh yes. But those are the best. I'm just trying to think what well, they were called. Cool. They're on my Kindle. You know, when you just like to invest the book, when life it. gives you lemons was one of them, but the a book of the, i am I can really recommend that if you, anyone's interested in aviation. I've just read Mike Sutcliffe's book called Typhoon and it was absolutely brilliant. It was a, a real page turner. I mean, I can say that because obviously he's taken me off the bloody number one spot in aviation. So, But it was, it's a really good book and I re, I've really enjoyed reading it. And another book that I've just started is one called Because I Can by Tim Bradshaw. Again, some really helpful life hacks. You know, An ex-military guy, but some really great ones. And it was only released
0: three days ago. Oh. So it's brilliant. Really good because Ad, I do. add adds to the to the list and that I am getting in so yeah. much trouble ordering stuff from uh, from Amazon at the moment. It's, it's an obsession. So what things do you use to help you manage your life so that the kind of productivity stuff, because you're clearly very busy and I'm always fascinated to see how people juggle things. Yeah, I'm to be
1: honest, I'm I'm not that great at it. <laughs> I say that. I just you know, everyone goes, Oh no, she's military. she's gonna be very, very I tend to procrastinate a little bit. So I try to catch myself out when I'm doing it. So the first thing I do is I do try and focus on a routine. My husband is ex Navy and he is all over his routine. My God, it's ridiculous. But way? you know, actually for for example, this morning I have done I got up at seven, I went for a walk on the hill, I do that every morning, half an hour. Went straight to the gym. I did an hour of Pilates, and I've done um, a forty-five minute spinning class. And it was, and I was back home by ten fifteen. So that was pretty impressive. By ten fifteen, I've done sort of two and a quarter hours of exercise. So exercise is really important for me. Yes. If I haven't done it by the morning, it ain't happening. So apart from tennis, which I do in the evenings, but yeah, so the exercise is really important. That sense of routine. One of the other things that I use all the time is this mantra that I was you know, taught in the in the aviation world, it's called control the controllables and if you can't let it go. So every time I want you to all imagine there's a stress bucket and it's filling up with all these superfluous issues that you have no control over at all, but they really stress you out. It could be even things like, you know, external things like the Ukraine conflict that's going on. Every time I watch the news, I can feel my stress levels building, just feeling the anger about what's going on and 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 all these issues that everyone's facing. I'm feeling a little bit helpless in what we can do to help. But that's filling up a stress bucket, isn't it? But what can I control? Okay, so going back to what you can can control and taking um, possession of those really helps me. So especially if you feel stress building on something, you know, quite quickly. And again, I use this. We were coming back from, uh, from the States when 9-11 happened and we were literally in the middle of the Atlantic, when in the cloud, when we heard that America shut their airspace and it would have been very easy to go, we have no idea what's happening, Come, You know, go into a state of panic. But by controlling the controllables, it was like, right, we don't know what's happening, but America shut its airspace, aircraft are being turned back, being diverted. What can we do? We can scan the airspace in front of us, clear our passageway through it. So again, I use this hack all the time. Control the controllables and if you can't let it go and it
0: enables you to focus on the priorities at the right time for you, a hundred percent. And we do live in a world where there is so much going on. You know, you can find out about everything and anything at any given time. It's very, very busy, which is why we end up with all of this overload and these things that we can't control. So, I think that's that's really wise. This is a slightly geeky question for me. The best runway to land on, and by best, I mean most interesting runway to land on. Can you think of thinking one?
1: of ones that I have landed on? A really interesting one to land on for myself actually was Goose Bay in Canada because you get some really extreme weather there. So you can be landing on compressed snow. You can be landing on a contaminated somewhere where it's flooded, all those sorts of things. I mean, on, on actual approaches must have been going into Hong Kong. Oh my God, that was an incredible approach. Literally coming through the skyscrapers. They've changed the, the, the location of it now. I
0: know it's a shame because it was really exciting going into uh, the airport in Hong Kong. I, I was privileged to to live in Hong Kong for quite a large chunk of my childhood. And one of my my kind of oldest memories is is exactly that is coming into land with the skyscrapers either side. And you could virtually see what people were watching on yeah
1: it was oh, great unbelievable oh i was blown away the first time i landed i was in, in the air force actually but i was going out to australia and the first time i landed um it was in a commercial airplane but i was just couldn't
0: believe it that there was this incredibly huge air uh, airfield right in the middle of the city yeah fascinating fascinating Absolutely. And then finally, another slightly geeky question from me. Uh, Top Gun. Yes or no?
1: Yes, yes, yes. I absolutely love Top Gun. Love it. I've seen it so many times
0: actually. And I cannot wait for Top Gun to I know. That seems it's been it. a long time coming. But hasn't oh, uh, it just? Very, very excited. And and I don't know how he does it, but Tom Cruise doesn't seem to have aged either. I which is I think it's magic. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So let's let's just move on to um, a couple of kind of little bits of of leadership bits and pieces in a kind of generic way. And I wanted, if you can, in a nutshell, to sum up what you think great leadership is. Okay, so
1: for myself, it would be authentic. I want authenticity. I want transparency and honesty. So someone's got real integrity to them. I think being a good communicator really does help as well. So I've seen lots of different styles of leadership, some who are better communicators than others. And you can have the most intelligent, the, you you know, best strategic leader, but if they can't get their message across and take people on the journey with them, then they're going to fail. And so actually it's about having the right people in those. And I think there's a lot to be said about situational leadership, actually having the right people at the right times. So that's also really important. And I think someone that has got the ability to inspire others and to take them with them. So if you think, you know, what is leadership? It's the ability to inspire others to do something that perhaps they wouldn't want to do, where you're going to get a, a greater sense of achievement as a team working together than they would as individuals. You know, that is that is good leadership. In fact, I saw, I read a really, really good summary of it, which, which I really loved actually, and it was a lovely analogy, is that you can have all these pieces of it on a jigsaw puzzle and all of these pieces are our people, our resources. It could be our procedures and our protocols. And we've got all of these pieces here. And you it, you probably can get them all together. But what the leader does is provide the picture, the context, that they actually suddenly know where they fit in, how they fit in, and how are they part of that greater being, that greater picture that they're seeing. And that's what the leader does. So it's not just somebody that's managing those pieces into the lines go here the corners go here actually they're bringing the whole thing together in context
0: and 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 I and I love that idea and I think that certainly when I was younger I felt that being a great leader meant that I had to be absolutely knee-deep in everything that was going on and that concept of of just bringing the picture together and understanding the bigger picture we often talk about that and the authentic leadership you know leadership is just plain you which is a quote that we've overused an awful lot and it isn't ours, but it's a brilliant one and it it really really is, and having that um ability to communicate i think is is just so important and you don't also i think also we we're celebrating a lot more now the the introverted leader as well who doesn't necessarily have to be the loudest voice in the room, but having that quiet ability to explain to people how they what the bigger picture is i think is is equally as important as well and then I wanted to ask you if you were willing to kind of share a story or a situation where perhaps your leadership wasn't quite what you wanted it to be, or, or you didn't quite get leadership right and how you a- overcame that. Yeah, I think I was trying to think about that, actually,
1: because, you you know, we were looking at that earlier and I, th- and I think it's an interesting one, actually. So I've taken on different leadership roles at different stages. and I, And I think a really good example of that actually would be when I was actually just as the um, chairwoman of my tennis club, so I'm going to bring an example. There you go, and we just take on different roles, don't we? Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd stepped up to be um, chairwoman of the tennis club. Now, again, why had I stepped up? Because the guy that was t- that was looking for someone to replace him, I suggested um, a woman that might be able to replace him, and he said, "A woman do it? Oh, I've never had. There's never been a woman that's been the chairman of this tennis club. I don't think so. What about her husband?" And I thought, right, so do you, I'll I'll step up myself. <laughs> And I'm just not, I'm not having that. And guess what? There's been three women that have taken over which I've loved. Anyway, but we had a situation whereby actually a woman on the court had a really big outburst and actually behaved really inappropriately on the tennis court. Middle-aged woman. And it was very easy on the surface of it just to think she's rude. We've got to basically bring, a, bring about some action and perhaps ask her to leave. And we started to implicate, uh, sorry, started to to bring that about. And then it turns out actually she was suffering from a lot of mental health issues. And again, we perhaps needed to think a bit outside of the box on this one. Was it the right thing to do? But at the same time, she'd been in front of a lot of young children who had all seen this outburst and, and really poor behaviour. And I think initially, basically, we we basically said she had to step down, which we implemented. And it was only really when I look back, and it was a couple of months later that we then she started to send awful text messages that we realized just the extent of her mental health. And I think the big thing for myself there was that you can look at something on the surface and you can see something, but it's, unless you dig a little bit deeper down, you don't necessarily know the full picture. And I don't think we knew the full picture. And we reacted to something without perhaps all of the information. And therefore, we probably made the wrong decision. And I think, you know, actually, perhaps if we had we as the leadership team had
0: acted differently, we we perhaps could have saved her perhaps a lot of mental anguish down the line as well. And I I think it gosh, I mean, that is such a difficult situation, isn't it? And I mentioned the communications pyramid earlier where you know, at the bottom of that communications pyramid is that kind of sort of ritual and cliche conversations that we have with people, you know, hi, how are you? And the higher up the pyramid you go, you get deeper into understanding people. And as leaders and as people, ultimately, what we want to be doing is is getting to the top of that pyramid where we understand more about people, we're really kind of getting into the heart and soul of who they are. and, And right at the top is peak, which you probably have with your husband, I have with my husband, where I finish his sentences which he hates but but if I don't finish them then somebody's going to be offended but so so I think that that there's an example of where perhaps um you know understanding people and and getting more in we spoke about the OODA loop and and having those conversations albeit very difficult helps us to make those decisions doesn't it because we understand what's why somebody might have done that or what the reasoning is but but that's an ideal scenario and sometimes you can't do that.
1: No, exactly that. And I think we didn't talk about the active listening part of it as well. And I think you touched on the introverted leader. And I think, you know, I, I run a, I run sort of sessions and I run a, a fun game that we play and it's like a survival exercise and everyone has to pick piece of equipment as individuals and then they do it as a team. And often it's the the loudest person that persuades everyone to go on their certain track with them. And it's not always the right one. And often you've got someone that's the most junior in the team on this exercise that's perhaps seen loads of Bear grills or something like that. And they don't feel empowered to argue their case enough to bring about it. And so it it really is a restart reminder whenever I do that, that exercise with teams is that It's not the loudest person that's the best leader. It's not that. It's not the oldest person. It's not the most experienced. It's about active listening. And actually, as a leader, it's about recognising that sometimes you can have someone that's perhaps introverted, perhaps they're introverted, or perhaps they're very quiet for a reason. Maybe they're being bullied. Maybe they feel under pressure. They don't feel they've got a voice to really bring them out of themselves because they could be your shining star. They could be
0: your subject matter expert that you are overlooking absolutely and and really understanding who you've got in in the team and using everybody's uh talent and helping them to uncover their talents is 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 one of the key parts of being a successful leader as well and mandy i'm going to draw it to a close here and now, and I wanted to say a huge thank you to you because you have imparted so much wisdom in the last hour stuff that I'm going to take away. you've mentioned some fabulous books, and we'll make sure that we put those. Um, in the show notes as well, so that people can can kind of pick those up. I wanted to ask you, are you still flying? When did you last get up in the air?
1: Well, I actually got up in the air in Morocco in a hot air balloon, which was very exciting. <laughs> and it was with the first female Moroccan air balloon pilot, which was fantastic. So, no, but regularly, no, I'm not at the moment, which is, it feels really sad, actually. It's sort of the first time in my life I haven't been flying so when I left the air force, I signed up as a volunteer reservist and I flew air cadets and I did it for just under nine years. Actually, I left just before lockdown, bizarrely. And because the world was really busy, like, you know, work was just crazy. And I had two teenage boys and I needed to be around a little bit at the weekend. So I just couldn't be pulled in too many directions. I had to prioritise what was important. But I think as you know, my priorities shift as my boys are getting older and all the rest of it, actually, it's something that perhaps I'd definitely love to get back towards doing. And I especially want to do the Air Cadets again because I don't like young girls turning up and there's still not being very many female pilots around, in fact, none. So I'd boss come down where i fly. And so, yeah, it would be
0: really good to do that again. Time to lean back into it. So there you have it. Actual proof that Top Gun is a great movie from an actual pilot. If you like this episode, why not hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of our future guests? And trust me, we have some great guests coming up. We've also got some exciting developments coming soon on our Leader Connect platforms. So stick with us right here on the Leader Connect podcast.